0: Welcome leaders for equity, allyship, and diversity. If you did not guess it before, yes, that does spell lead, L-E-A-D. This is a special episode of the Leading People First podcast. If you're frustrated, saddened, bewildered, disgusted, or feeling any other range of emotions due to the hate, violence, inequity, and injustice in our society, you are not alone and you've come to the right place a group of awesome leaders banded together to do something about this and we have formed the group LEAD. We are hosting weekly events to allow leaders to come together to learn, discuss, share, activate, and empower to make a difference in this world. What you're about to listen to is some of this discussion from this meeting and a presentation by the amazing Pamela Teagarden on how to move beyond bias by bridging the gap within your organization. If you want to learn more and be empowered to act, You'll have to join us next week. We meet every Thursday at 7 30 p.m. Eastern, 4 30 p.m. Pacific. Listen to the end to get more information and get ready to come together and lead. Let's dive on in. Our guest today is Pamela, who goes by Pam. She used to be a banker before she did her graduate studies. In corporate Wow, I can't speak tonight. My my apologies. Corporate behavioral and positive psychology. The work she does as a coach and consultant sits at the intersection of business and behaviors. Her research on inclusive diversity helped her organize a model of what she calls organizational justice that promotes fairness, equity, and transparency in the workplace by reframing the metrics used in our traditional HR and organizational development activities. She only recently moved back to the States here after living most of her adult life in Russia, China, and England, and she told me how shocked she was to see what America had become, some of the injustices that we've seen in the last decades hit her all at once. Besides working with clients of all sizes, to name a few big ones, Microsoft, PwC, Yum Restaurants, Unilever, as well as some smaller companies, equity funders, startups, and incubators, she serves on the Wall Street Journal Task Force on Women in the Economy, she partners with the UN on the global or 17 global sustainability goals. She's faculty to the Thought Leadership Institute for Talent Acquisition in the Fortune 100, to name a few of the organizations that she's a part of. And she's a speaker, facilitator, author, blogger, and advocate, and international ally or intentional ally. My mistake. All right, welcome to the stage, Pam. <laughs>
1: Thank you, International Ally is fine. I feel like I just came back to the States and this is all brand new to me. And um, in the spirit of transparency, before I go any further, I wanna say that I'm looking at some amazingly beautiful people. And I want you to know that I am a white person talking to some gorgeous people that want to dismantle white supremacy, which might actually be daunting to some, but I am so with you, you have no idea. I, uh, I don't understand what it is to be black. I don't pretend to. I don't understand any other race. My my intersectionality is about being a woman and having white privilege, which I've learned an awful lot about overseas as well as here. Um, I hope if I haven't already that I use my privilege to open doors and make things better. Uh, but I, I got to say, as long as I've studied and researched and and dealt with with bias, I always understand that there's a message and a messenger and they need to be the right person. You know, one person can say something and the other person can't, you know? And uh, so I, when I go on my, when I march for Black Lives Matter, I wear my abolish white supremacy t-shirt because I think that's my message. That's, that comes from me. It's a, certainly a different message if it came from someone else but I so appreciate what this entire group is doing and I wanna be a part of it. So thank you for letting me, it's an honor letting me speak to you all. I do have an idea for you and I wanna present it to you as just one step. It's not the be all end all. We're not gonna get world peace by the end of this, but from a, a place I can stand and a message that is my message, I can talk from the organizational standpoint. So from an icebreaker scenario, I just want you to think for a second about your organization. And maybe you're a coach or a consultant and you're thinking about your client. But whatever organization you're closest to, I want you to think about it. And in the chat, if you wish, up to you, I want you to kind of rate it. One being not at all, five being quite a bit in terms of fairness and equity and transparency what does it feel like to work or see that organization go and if you're willing put a little reason why you're putting the score in the chat one not at all five they're awesome fairest place most transparent there's a lot of. If you're looking at the chat as you're typing them in, um, there's a lot of. There, I see comments about there's a desire, or the progress is slow, or the, you know, uh, I want more. In essence, is what you're saying a lot about actions often fall short. People look like they're given little access to what matters, and and uh, certainly there's a difference if you're thinking about it from the standpoint of the results you see versus the potential you might give to some of the, you know, activities they're doing. High potential. I gotcha. I would love if you would keep that number that you're putting there and and keep it in the back of your head, especially if it was a five, what I want you to think about is how can we sustain that, right? If it's a two, a, a 1.5, whatever else, I saw a bunch of twos, really and truly. I would say if I was just, they went by sometimes too fast, but I probably saw more twos to 2.53 than I did ones or fives. Right. So, so let's think about where, where you put your organization and when we're done, when I give you this, this idea I have, I want you to think about what it is your organization could use, what piece of this, your organization could use. Um, Because, the uh, the bridge I hope to build is going to be sustainable diversity and equity and inclusion in your organization. What I'd like you to know is this doesn't actually stop you from whatever your personal agenda is for the justice that you require and deserve. This doesn't stand in the way of that. My idea is to broaden and build that from the organizational perspective. So I'd love it. I think what I'll do is. Um, I'm going to get started on my presentation because then we have more time. I'm hoping for like 15 minutes at the end that we can start talking about some of these scores and what you think might help either sustain or or build. What I'm going to go through is an idea how we can move beyond bias and It's from the organizational side. So I don't know how many of you are in charge of diversity, equity, and inclusion, but it doesn't matter. If you work with other people, this is for you because you work with other people. And so I'm going to talk about implicit bias, but I don't really want to talk about the effects of bias, to the extent that, you know, we go deeply into that, because we all know the effects of bias are are big. They're they're very important to everybody. Um, But I want to stick to just speaking about implicit bias as a a concept. Um, The first thing I want to talk to you about is what bias training gives us. I've studied and researched and dealt with bias for quite some time, and and bias training is one of the most recent uh, things we've been given in the DEI world. Uh, and I wanna talk to it. I wanna show you where we fall short at work in managing our biases. And I want to show you a pivot that we can move beyond biases. Now, having said that, I'm not gonna downplay the effects of bias. Bias is a big deal and it stands between any two people, no matter what they look like, it stands between any two people. And I'm not gonna let anybody off the hook. I don't believe that I'm saying something about, oh, let's do this in the organization and it doesn't matter if that person's a racist. It totally matters if that person is, it matters if they're even just a bad ally. And I don't want you to think that this is about moving on beyond the idea that, uh, that I don't want you to think we're trying to forget anything. We're going to move forward beyond some biases that are that shouldn't exist in what we do in the organization, so that we can move back out with a more unified direction in doing what we need to do with, with uh, the with the social justice side of things. When I go into an organization, I'm usually going in because something is broken. They want me to fix something. Usually, they want me to you know figure out what to do about that person or this thing, and and I'm thinking, well, let's just take this from the top. I usually take what is is a justice conversation and I split it into two conversations. And there's a reason for that. Sometimes we're talking about social justice and sometimes we're talking about organizational justice. And there's a reason I break them apart. They're both the same in a lot of ways. They're justice and there's an individual that wants to be equally or equitably treated inside of a collective. But on the social justice side, We have every person and every system. And on the organizational side, we're in a culture with one system. So you can say on the organizational side, you can say things like, what do I do if I have a misstep? How do we get back on track? Right. But I can't say that necessarily in the same way in the social justice side, because there I need to listen I need to hear the the justice that the person I'm speaking to believes they deserve and I need to help them find it. That's the the idea I have anyway on the two discussions. The other reason they're different is because social justice becomes more of an evolutionary process. And whether you think we're in the right place or the wrong place in terms of of your particular worldview, um, I don't know what it is to be Black, but I can tell you that Uh, Rosa Parks sat on the bus 10 years and 11 days before I was born. And we're having conversations about you know, Charlottesville and Ferguson and things that are going on. And I don't, as we do all that, the system is banging on. There's a promotion happening. There's recruiting this person over that person. And so I thought instead of waiting until effectively everything, you know, the evolutionary process is not necessarily an outcome that we get tomorrow. Let's look over here and find out what we can do in the organization to bond ourselves around something that we can Uh, unify ourselves around in the work we do and then go back out into the social justice sphere sphere, um, uh, with with more of a a unified approach to some of the systems that we need to take apart and and deal with. So that's the reason for the idea. But I want to talk about bias training and what that means to the whole revolutionary tactic that we're going forward. Um, I don't know how many of you have been uh, involved in in bias training, but it's a beautiful, beautiful thing. uh, It teaches us about our own bias, our perspectives, and and we speak about others and the pain that we didn't understand until they told us. But in in terms of generalizing what we get out of bias training, I want to offer you this we all learn that bias is an irrational irrelevant distraction from real decision making it it isn't an important factor it stands in the way of a real decision and that's a great thing to learn i love the idea that bias training is giving us that awareness the problem is and you'll hear me say the problem is just after i say i love it i mean i love it it's just not enough right so the problem is there's infinite numbers of biases so i might you might feel that someone is 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 provi- you know harming you and or your career in some way because of your skin color but it could be that they have some sort of weird negative bias around people who eat pizza in brooklyn some weird personal trigger, I guess I shouldn't judge, not weird personal trigger, but whatever it is, they could be, there could be, you don't know, play a race card, and that's the only thing. There's infinite numbers and layers of biases. So what we do is we actually pick race, gender, LGBTQ, and we talk about biases that are contextually viable for the community we're sitting in front of. If you're in China, different choices here, but you're going to get a subset of biases that are discussed, which is not bad. It's a good thing, but it's not all the infinite biases that stand between us. So now let's look at the next piece to bias, which is what they tell us to do about it. They tell us that we need to take more time in between identifying who I want to be when I take on this action with this other person. And then they say, introduce more objectivity into the conversation what's real because that distraction is there now i will give you that these are beautiful answers and you're about to hear my buts because i'm going to say but but in this first i want to say that i know from a psych- psychology standpoint we don't have the luxury of time for all these micro decisions that we have to make We don't have the ability and when we do and when we're under pressure, we have quite a, we fracture as a whole human being. So we're not able to take advantage of that reflection time anymore. But even if we could, I've got to tell you that we don't all agree on the objectives because I've sat with a Saudi male talking about his female boss and I'm not there to take him away from his religion. So let's just suggest for this that we're gonna say it's complex. So we have an infinite number of complexities in bias. As good as bias training is, we have to do something about the idea that we come out of there not well equipped to take care of every single bias in every single complex way. So what do we do? We create allyship or some other level of norming around a community that actually allows us to have some rules or norms or or value sets that allow us to deal with biases together, call each other out on it and and realize what ideal looks like in in that world. And, And we do a great job. We move some steps down the path. The problem I see, and this is where, remember I said, and if any of you saw the two minute introduction, I get called in when allyship isn't as perfect as we wished it was. I want to talk about that because allyship doesn't go all the way across into the organization as much as we'd like it to. And just think about this for a second. If I'm your best friend and greatest ally, because we really, really, really came to grips of our biases and really understand each other, there's going to come a moment when we're in the organization. It could be a military unit, a medical practice, corporate, nonprofit, whatever, and we're going to sit there and there's going to be one single promotion. Only one of us can get it or, you know, some recruiting function. Only one person can come in the door. So we, we go almost overnight from compassion into competitors. And that's a real problem because in that moment, we use our cognitive bias to to justify our intentions. So our well-intended, you know moment makes sense to us even though the system still kept banging on so the allyship wasn't quite enough and i wanted to understand why but let me show you what the organization does that tricks us a little bit it's a little bit of a trick cuz they give you some thoughts if this were to break down we want you to know that we have these posters on the wall and they say how to be ideal in this company this culture poster is sitting maybe you don't have a company big enough to have a culture poster but i'm sure there's some values that your boss wants you to be and uh, i'm willing to bet if i if i literally i've placed a five dollar bet on this before but it says customer service excellence uh, teamwork and accountability some level of those four on all the posters and maybe there's a six ways to be an ally poster but that's all great except nobody told you what to do when you had a question about the difference between organizational justice and social justice. I know what to do to be an ally, but how does that fit when I'm in this organization? So what leaders do is they give you the pat answer. Have you ever imagined that the leader comes out and says what the company, the, the line is, right? They just tow the line and, and they're trying their best, but they're giving you that ideal that what you need to become, what you need to aspire to become. And when they do that too often, we start to comply, So I'm now, let me go through this. We were compassion, we went to competitors. And when the boss comes out or the HR lady comes out and says something, we're now, okay, fine. We'll just comply. We're trying to be these posters on the wall. And then of course it can get worse and worse. And that's when I get called in Now, I'm very, you know, given that I used to be a banker and I'm now in psychology, I'll sit there and I'll play that game and get rid of this problem and that problem. But wouldn't it be awesome if they could do some of this themselves, if they could get across all the way to the organization and be real instead of this idealistic thing that we are all supposed to aspire to become? No argument that the things they're asking us to aspire to become are great. I'm just suggesting that It's a little bit unfair if I'm sitting there trying to be something that you want me to be. How about I figure out something real? So instead of shattering the glass ceiling, we end up shattering a lot of souls. And I watch it happen all the time. And maybe it's because I go in when there's problems, But I really wanted to know what could I learn about the organization so that I could figure out what was missing. Now, I'll tell you right now, I'm about to show you what was missing. And you're gonna probably wanna know a little bit more. I need it only in this time period to offer the theory of what I'm showing you. And then maybe we can have some conversations in the end of the time period in a second to talk about your organizations, but I'm gonna give you more in the chat. There's gonna be more opportunity to see these as resources because there was something big missing. And I'm gonna to venture to guess that you think you've done some of this, right? But because I've been there when it was broken, I know we haven't done enough. So I had to dig fairly deeply to find this. So bear with me. So stay with me on the theory part. What I found is that instead of an infinite number of biases in the corporations or in the organizations, there's a finite number of biases. Because what we really want to know is your biases around performance nothing to do with the color of your skin, nothing to do with where you came from, nothing to do with anything except how you choose to work. So a lot of white guys, middle-aged white guys are diverse, and they comply to the poster on the wall and don't see their diversity. So I'll get to that in a second. The other thing I realized is that it's a simple process, not necessarily easy, but Larry Greiner, who is a Harvard professor, shows us the actual step-by-step process of what it takes to grow a corporation or an organization. And I wanna remind you, an organization is not a human being. It's, it may be led by human beings, but it's just a system of goals, one system. So if I understood the step-by-step growth of an organization, take away social, don't even think about social justice for right now, the step-by-step, and I understood only the biases that I needed to understand in that moment, could I come up with something? Well, Greiner, Larry Greiner did a really good thing for us. He outlined the mindsets that actually, he juxtaposed that over the organizational curve. So I know the mindsets that I need to have to grow an organization. In that system of goals to get more money or more foundational uh Uh, donations or whatever it is you're looking for. We need to understand these mindsets. And I'm going to draw you back to something because I don't know if you've thought about diversity in terms of, remember, the very, very, very beginning, the business model of diversity is actually not first what everybody looks like. It's actually many minds around a solution give a better answer. Now, there's no question in our mind that everybody that we're, you know, limiting our talent if we don't get out and get all the beautiful people that we aren't getting in the door because we've got these white old men. But actually, the business model started with many minds around one better solution. Now, okay, so mindsets is a big, big, big deal. So I looked at what was being measured in mindsets. I'll go back to Andy Pallant and David Johnson, who created a tool that I've now sort of uh, I now own with Andy Pallant is now my business partner. Um, They created this tool to measure mindsets in a very different way. I'll explain that in a second Um, because they were in the entrepreneurship world. They wanted to know how you would run your business because it's just you. And I did the research to make it an enterprise level because think about this for a second. What is inclusion besides inclusion in the team? You need to understand how your valued contribution is included in many mindsets in the better solution. So if you could understand how you how your contribution can be valued in that organizational performance you would have another piece to inclusion and you would be able to actually use that information to get through any of the preconceived notions that somebody may have because of color of your skin anything that has to do with where you're from whether you eat pizza live in brooklyn whatever other biases they had that we're standing in between them and valuing your contribution, you'd be able to show them and tell them and express the value to them, which is inclusion. Now, here's the issue. I actually ended up getting, well, let me back up because I know it's about to happen on this slide if I can get it not frozen, sorry. Uh, This actually allows us to take the allyship and target our beautiful relationships in complementary ways to actually value also the contribution in performance. That makes all the recruiting decisions and all the promotion decisions more transparent. And it means that two people that we might've had preconceived notions about have a transparent view of what they have to gain and give and offer to this next promotion. And so it's it's something that allows that equity, that fairness, that it levels the playing field in one aspect. Now, this was what was missing. We couldn't cross the bridge from our world peace we were trying to gather and our perfection culture that we were trying to get. We needed to understand truly who the people were and how they could contribute into the organization. Now, I'm going to show you some mindsets in what I give you after this uh, This session, I wanted to explain what they were in terms of how they fit into the model. Uh, It takes a second to sort of go through what they are because they're not personality or values or traits. That tells you who somebody is. So I am certified in 30, 40 psychometric tools because of my research. DISC, Myers-Briggs, human synergistics, VIA, you name it, right? I love them all but they tell you who somebody is. It's not even behaviors, skills, abilities. That tells you what somebody can do. This is something you might think you're measuring, but you're not really, 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 that three really is maybe four, that you're not really getting them because this is actually your instinctual patterns. Every single person has them. It's not whether you're good or bad at something. It's the instinctual patterns that you approach your work using. So for example, you might approach, um, uh, think of it as, as two sides of a coin. Do you approach risk as a look before you leap person or a give it a go person, right? So you want to, which polarity, which side, which, what are your instinctual patterns? These are the ways you make your micro decisions in the work that you do. And there's only 12 of them. It's a language Now, what happens with that language is because I can't see inside your brain, I can only see the color of your skin. When you come into my organization, I'm just using color of your skin just because we're talking about race and I don't mean anything but anybody. But when you come into the organization, whatever biases I feel about who you are, are evident in the decisions I make about you. But if I understood In a data driven way, what your instinctual patterns were. Every single person has the ability to be successful. I just need to know how to make you successful. And so you're telling the leader how to lead you, you're telling other people how to work with you. And what tends to happen is uh, I'll give you some examples. There was a a Black woman lawyer who uh, was recruited into a law firm, and she had her instinctual patterns i gave her the information coached her through it and she said pam i want to thank you because i didn't have to work twice as hard to show people that because i'm a black woman lawyer i can do it you know that any preconceived notion they had for from me or that she thought they would have uh, she said i just told them this is my contribution to work in a language they understood with data because the leader understood the language. She said it was such a breath of fresh air. I understood where I fit. I felt like part of the team immediately. I've had groups of white older men that weren't actually using the diversity in their own mindsets. And we got them to actually expand the reach of their performance. And then we could bring in someone else to, to uh, work with them that looked different from them. So there's a variety of ways in which this works. But in the end, and th- it shows you how someone works. So who they are, how they work, and what they can do are three very different pieces. And we were missing the nine factors that occur in this middle bit. So I will, I will show you uh, on Monday in the chat, I'll give you examples and give you a downloadable uh, tool. I'm gonna give you six of the 12 mindsets. But let me end the presentation in the next couple of slides so that we'll have time to talk a little bit more. I wanna let you know that when you actually put both pieces of inclusion together, you have much more meaningful allyships because you aren't betraying each other in your work processes so you have a measurable because you can link those approaches to performance and actually get the what what sets your mind to performance is now measurable in performance language so that is my my research, if you will, I flipped the terminology because diversity and inclusion made me feel like we were bringing in a lot of differently looking people and assuming we had inclusion because they were there. And then we would try to get them to get along, but lo and behold, I would go back and the headcounts would be down. Why? because, and this is the answer I got all the time. I wish they would have stayed. I, I, we had a whole lot of women on our list last time, but they just didn't work out. Isn't that funny? They didn't work out or you didn't know about their mindsets in the right way. So this is the research I did. And I'm being just a little bit silly here as I start to give you the last slide, which is the pivot I wanted to show you. But I, I really do believe, and this is me being an optimist, I believe that actually, if we start to change one system at a time, we could actually do a lot more with the other systems. And I've taken this out and worked with police so that the protesters and the police have some language to talk through. I've, I've not, I'm not going to suggest I know a lot of the outcomes yet. It's very early days. But you know, silly enough, I'm a positive psychology person, so I do believe that there's a way for more world peace from the idea that we continue to hold both of these stories in our head at the same time, that social justice doesn't go away. But I'll give you two more examples before I give you the pivot. One of my clients, when I walked in six months, 18 months after, I usually go in between 6, 12, or 18 months after I've been at the client, and they gave the inclusive diversity models. They they understood their mindsets as a person and as a, a team. So there's like a dashboard. It's almost like programming a GPS from your from your the way you choose to work. It's amazing. When they actually did all that, I said, Well, what's different about your DEI program now? And she said, She said, Pam, I would never have believed it, but We had all these safe spaces where we'd have these psychological safety conversations and vulnerabilities and things. She goes, we don't have nearly, we barely have any anymore because they have the conversations in their teams. They have the trust and respect to have those conversations. And and another of my clients said, The minute there was a giant push for Black Lives Matter, you know who came to the DEI person with all the suggestions for what to do? The white employees, because they were so devastated for their black colleagues that they just couldn't rest until they came to say, what is it we can do and let's do this. And it wasn't even a push from the DEI. So there's something beautiful about letting people understand their contribution into performance. Because diversity is not just about getting along better, it's about getting to work better too. And if we can't get to work better, it all falls apart, no matter how great we become as allies. So the pivot I wanted to show you is when I said that there was, you know, sort of taking diversity and and looking at it backwards, leading beyond biases, meaning I don't want to have any of these preconceived notions that I don't have to have about you because of how you look or, you know, what your abilities are or where you came from or what school you graduated from. I don't want to have those if I can understand how to organize my team around those instinctual patterns that they have because engagement in my work is allowing me to work the way I choose to work. I told my 13-year-old niece that my, that my research was about letting people work the way they want to work. And she was like, well, yeah, why would they want to work like somebody else wanted to work? I was like, oh, my God, please don't go get a job because you're just going to be so disappointed. Anyway, I thought if you could organize your team around their mindsets, inclusively around the performance you have today, then guess what you can do? Even if you're a team of all-white old men, you can create improbable partnerships you can complement the mindsets, but then what would it be also like if that was, if we brought in a, I'm gonna be silly here, a one armed, ex veteran, trans male, 65 year old, Hispanic, just, you know, any intersectionality of person because they in, in innovated the way you needed to innovate, you know? And so it becomes this, this thing that can build on itself. They're telling you how to lead them. There's a big needs analysis that says, This is what I need to be successful. Let's do HR for that instead of you telling me what HR has. And the best news is that we can recruit for the headcount we need. But guess what? Because they have the talent, they're not a token. They're coming in because they've got the approach to work that the next phase of our work needs. And we keep doing that and building and building and building. I know I haven't given you enough to let you believe in this, but what I've found over the last 10 plus years of my research, and I've been out of the States my whole adult life. And so I'm very glad to be here and happy to be doing it with my clients now in the States. But if you can't get business results that link directly to your DEI, it's going to continue to be a little bit wonky. And so what I've got here is business results. You can actually make diversity, equity, and inclusion be a predictable, bu- predictive business model instead of an HR initiative because you have these inclusive diversity models that are driving the business with all of the diversity that we have, no matter what we look like. And we're not just saying blandly, hey, bring your authentic self to work. We're saying, let's start with your authentic mindsets and then let's learn about the rest of your authentic self, because wouldn't it be awesome if somebody went up and said, I didn't know you were gay and it doesn't matter because I was already bonded with you because we did such a great job on that change management project. This is what I do for companies. I flip the switch on, on diversity and inclusion, and I help the people, give the, I give the people information so they can sustain inclusivity, so they can talk about, you know, safe and psychological uh, things that they want to talk about with, with, their, with their diverse peers. And so if I, if I work with a small team, I just do these three steps. But as the company gets bigger, I do something where I call organizational justice, which is more of a building of all the processes necessary so that we can create diversity, equity, and inclusion as a predictive business model. And then we can put the perspective of HR from the people. The business doesn't need to drive the people. The people need to drive the business. And I give them one 15-minute survey. That's it. Everything else I've just reframed. It's a very, very simple process. It doesn't sound it. It doesn't sound simple, but it's a simple process that's step by step by step by step. What I found is if we had one set of measures, everything else that works for your organization fits nicely around it, and you keep the good stuff, and it broadens and builds itself over time it may sound counterintuitive to have one more survey but if we get the right one and it works it starts to sort of build the whole foundation for you so here's two things that i'm going to end with and then i want to hear from you about the scores you gave your your companies because i'm looking at the clock i think we got about 15 minutes. I'll see if Chris wants us to do breakout rooms or if we want to do questions. I know two things. I know that I've given you a theory and you're thinking, I don't know if I believe her. I want you to jump on my calendar. I don't even want you to go to a website. I want you to jump on my calendar. You see it here. It's calendly.com slash Pamela Teagarden. Please, I'll put that in the chat in the or the, the, uh, what's the, what do you call that app? The Slack thing. And then in in Slack, I'm also going to give you six of the 12 mindsets. What you'll have, and if you'll give me until Monday, because I need to create just a short video, I'm going to do a little short video explaining the measures. And I'm going to give you a handout that you print out, and it'll give you the six core of the 12 and how to use them, because they're just a slight bit different. But but they they give you a sense of of just your your natural strength set right in in terms of performance, but that is the theory of how we might stick allyship just a little bit longer through the employee experience, and actually have a measurable and meaningful way to look at diversity, equity, and inclusion, and I hope that you see something in there worth asking me more about because. I can't thank you enough for your time and attention today. And I would love to just be on the phone with you next week or the week after helping you see what else your organization could have to lace it all together. Thank you very much. And Chris, I'm going to send it over to you and let you decide how we we go about the 15 minutes or so that we've got left.
0: Absolutely. Well, Pam, thank you again so much for presenting. I really appreciate it. Um, We have a good number of questions coming through, so I want to ask you those questions. Let me pull them up. Uh, First one, can you clarify some of the steps to making DEI part of the business results plan?
1: Yes, Um, the first thing is we don't have anything that links directly to performance unless we measure the mindsets. So the mindsets are that Larry Greiner, remember how Larry Greiner had position there's 12 mindsets and you need to know what your go-to tendencies you have all 12 of them but you need to know which are dominant in you and you want to use your dominant ones more often than not and you can use them every day so if you're using your dominant mindsets then there's two things you need to know about how it becomes a model number one is all of the hr stuff becomes let's say you have a three to five choices so if we give sort of the way in which your, your accountability tools or leadership models, whatever we give out in HR, if we look at what the people need to succeed, there's usually three to five variations so that Pam can have something different than Chris needs, but they both get you there. Do you know what I mean? So it opens HR up to have a few more choices. Easy choices, I mean, you just say, I need these tools instead of just one tool. We're not gonna push out one. The other thing is, the other piece to this, and this is something I didn't discuss on this, is that diversity and equity and inclusion are present. They are affected by, or they affect every single process inside the organization. Think about it. Recruiting, leadership, engagement, culture, even corporate social responsibility, right? So I just take all the policies and procedures of an organization, and we come up with metrics for every single one of them. We look at the metrics that already work like gangbusters within the inclusion stuff. Maybe you measure empathy. Maybe you measure beautiful pieces of inclusion. We add that in, and then we take the mindsets. Now I can say, I look at it like a dashboard. Are we low on empathy and our engagement? You start to see the relationships, right? But it goes all the way across. So it's like looking at where the, the gap is and filling it with something that works for everyone. Does that make sense? I just lace everything together with a DEI seasoning on it, if that makes some sense.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. What about the mindset that DEI transcends a business case? Any thoughts on that?
1: Say that again, DEI transcends a business
0: case. Yeah, uh, you know, we had one uh, individual comment that they're of the mindset that DEI transcends making it a business case.
1: Yes, it does, it totally does. It's because if I don't, when I, sometimes people yell at me because they think I'm trying to make everybody robots. And when I talk performance, 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 it does sound that way. What I'm trying to do is is link it to performance because you realize if the company doesn't perform, we got nothing, right? So that's that. What then tends to happen, if you think of that as the cake, we can do icing and sprinkles and all the other stuff. the The rest of humanity is available to us now because here's the problem with what we're doing in diversity and inclusion right now. It has been since the 1980s. I don't even know if it was... Like in it, 1980, was the first time I ever saw well being uh, uh, measured in an organization. When Gallup and, and Watson Wyatt started looking at uh, active engagement, we haven't had more than 20% of our global employee workforce measure actively engaged. And it has to be active engagement to deal with all these micro decisions we're dealing with, right? Not just engagement, that's just not being disengaged. I want active engagement for innovation and humanity and life choices and work-life balance, all that stuff. So we haven't had more than 20% of our population actively engaged because we keep looking at engagement as happiness. There's a difference between engagement at work and engagement in work. I can be engaged in my work with you and completely disengaged at home and in other places. If I had that piece to the puzzle, everything else stacks on top and becomes better. So I have gone way down to the basement and sealed a crack in the basement. We can decorate the top floor someday, but we keep trying to decorate the top floor on shifting sands. So what I'm saying is ping pong tables are awesome. All these things we've done, nothing has helped the core, core, core piece which is engagement in my work with you. Now, let's, let's tackle the world.
0: I got, that's much more than a business. That's beautiful. Fantastic. Uh, Gloria, I see you have your hand up. I would like to call on you. So go ahead and unmute.
2: Give me a second. I'm talking to you from Australia and I'm going to try and put my camera on. Okay. Hi there.
0: Hello.
2: Hello. Hello. Um, I really enjoy your talk and in fact, I have to say, it's one of the first time I've heard a DEI talk that I'm thinking, "Wow, she's onto something." is is fantastic. I want to learn more, and I, I just can't wait to get in touch. You talked about the mindset, you know, being able to communicate value that we bring as a black woman or a person, um, you know, with um, other other status. Now, when we do bias mm-hmm. training, it helps us to be able to accept that value being communicated or presented to us yes. in order to be able to add to the company processes for the desired outcome that we are after. Yes. So if you're dealing with an organization who has not done bias training already, the filters are coming up even before you communicate this value that you bring. So my question to you is how can we do that if we don't think that, you know, bias training is, you know, it, it has this, um, its limits. Tr- that's right. How do we do that? I'm just trying to work in my head how you go past that. Sure. Because we need more than than bias training. I, I'm completely with you, but I just don't know how else you can get in. Sure. To communicate that value. Yeah. Sure. Well, I think what's interesting is um, we have gone
1: from the biggest portion of bias. almost trying to solve for world peace and then work better together, right? It's almost like we're trying to get everybody to get along in every way and heal every racial tension and every single thing. And then we're going to, it's almost like we aspire to become something way bigger than we could possibly ever attain before we get the result that we really, really, really want, which leaves us to only rely the only thing we can rely on is hope and optimism. I hope all these people listened really well on bias training and then they come out of this and they're just loving each other and they'll still keep loving each other even under pressure. So what I sometimes say, and I don't usually do, it took me a long time to be able to do a presentation like this because I felt like I was telling everybody their baby was ugly because I don't think bias training is enough. So by virtue of that, you could do without it until you needed it. Mm -hmm. So I don't, they go without it. But what I do say is don't forget, I also work as a banker, I go down and I'll profile strategic behavioral due diligence, which is another way to say this DEI thing for bankers, because they don't really care about engagement. I hope I'm not talking to lots of bankers, but they just want productivity, product, you know, they want people to stay around. So when I talk to them, I'm just like, you know what, you just got to understand how these people program, it's a programming language, program themselves to work. And then once you do that, then they can tell you what else they need. Now, once you get past, so I would love to find an organization that had not had bias training and not had this and not had that and not had that, and add only what was needed all throughout the process, because you you understand how the people work together, but you also understand what they need to be more successful. That's an HR needs analysis. Mm-hmm. Then they, they want to become, you want them to the retention, and then you figure out that you've got these three kinds of people, you do these three kinds of bias, like you do, you map it like that. But that's not who I see. I usually see, oh, this is broken. And we tried that. And that's all ideal. And all this. And I think I don't see anything bad. Let me just piece in this little bit. And lo and behold, they get rid of a couple of things. Not Mm. not always. But you know, sometimes, because we lose $500 billion in the US alone for misguided attempts in this. That means that we, when you hear survey fatigue, I'm a disk, I'm a Myers-Briggs, I'm a disc. I'm like how many of those can we take when they're not enough information? Yeah. So I do, I do see some uh, it's like we're cooling a room and there's a crack in the window. We know how to cool the room, but we don't know how to regulate the temperature. So if I found a company that hadn't had anything yet, let's start with the, the, the blank slate. I'd love that.
2: Hmm. Thank you.
0: Thank you everyone. Um, I really appreciate Pamela for you coming on for the great insights and sharing more on how we can move beyond our biases in organizations. I'm really looking forward to those additional insights that you will have later next week. And so for those of you who are still on the call and for those of you who are listening, we will be sure to send those out via email as well as post them on our LinkedIn group. If you are not uh, following us or in our group on LinkedIn, feel free to join. It is the Leaders for Equity, Allyship, and Diversity We are also on Slack. We will send out that link as well. It is the Avengers Mansion uh, where we are having great conversations, providing resources and posting opportunities in the DEI space. Next week, we are going to be having a very frank discussion on if we are alienating our allies. So if you want to talk about that uh, and have any thoughts or opinions or ideas on how we can bridge that gap, That is going to be a fantastic discussion. There is no speaker. It is just purely a discussion that we'll be having next week. Be sure to register on LinkedIn for that event. Again, thank you all so much for coming and uh, to this Leaders for Allyship, Equity, Allyship, and Diversity meeting. Everyone have a great evening and we will talk to you all soon.